This is Left of the Dial. I'm your host, Kitsy, and with me, as always, is the unavoidable Caleb Coy. Caleb, how are you? <laughs> I'll tell you what's unavoidable. That's this uh, creeping feeling of dread. Oh, no. Uh, you know, I just, I, I thought that this sensation of being lost and kind of disconnected would be, like, steady, but it's actually cumulative. It's gotten worse <laughs> from week to week. <laughs> but it's okay, because we're here. We are. Now, together, uh, and actually uh, joining us uh, this evening, evening for us, I don't know what time it is for y'all uh, out there listening, uh, is Emily and Andy from the band Catching the Westbound. Hey, y'all. How you doing? Hi. How Hello. are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so this is kind of exciting. So um, we just, uh, I mean, really just met right now, but... Uh, kind of just uh, digitally met recently uh, via Twitter, which I think is kind of fun because that's how I met most of the people that I know here in St. Louis. Uh, and I uh, I checked out your band, and I really enjoyed it. And we're doing this uh, series of uh, spotlights, kind of bringing uh, musicians on and just talking about what things are like right now uh, for musicians in a time when it's hard to musish. And so we're, uh, we're really excited to, to bring you on and get to know you a little bit. Uh, so you chose a record for us to listen to this week. So why don't you kick us off? What song did we just hear? Yeah, Revelator um, from the Gillian Welsh album, Time the Revelator. It's a title track. It's beautiful and amazing. It was. And I actually, uh, this was a, a new experience for me, which I, I appreciate because it's was kind of the, the whole purpose of this podcast was to find new music together. Uh, and I was not familiar with Gillian Welsh. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this record just kind of on the whole and like why it stands out to you, why you chose it. And uh, we can go from there. Yeah, I think the what the record was recorded in 2001. Does that sound right? Yeah, I believe it's yeah. their third. Their third album? Yeah. Um, and I was introduced to it my mother gifted it to me when I was in college. Um, and I instantly fell in love with Gillian Welsh. And then much later when I met Andrew, um, discovered that he also was a fan and we bonded over that shared music. And this has always been my favorite of her albums. I think Andy might have some others in mind. I like that in Soul's Journey is another one. But um, yeah, I think I played Revelator on repeat over and over again in a very disgusting college apartment <laughs> uh, with it just me and a hamster and just being really sad and listening to Revelator over and over again. I think everyone hearing you say that they're all, their minds all went to the same place. Like we all know exactly what that apartment <laughs> the, looks the like. The smell, the smell just comes back to you. Yeah. Caleb, uh, neither one of us were in college at the time, but that just reminds me of when we, you and I lived together the first time. I mean, it that's, basically... That's where I go. <laughs> it felt like college. Let's be there honest. were like broken blinds, and there was an alley out back where some guy just kind of like stabbed himself in the stomach over a girl, and it was just... It was the perfect oh, wow. college experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, wait. I, I take that back. I was taking uh, classes at a local community college when we lived together, so I was technically in college then. That's true. And Chris had like basically just left college. Yeah, uh, he had graduated very recently. So. Yeah, 
Close and, enough. Uh, it stays actually, with you. It stays with you. I had just dropped out for my third time, so. Yeah. So we were all college adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> it was very college-ish. <laughs> but that's not uh, what we're here to talk about. <laughs> no. I love how uh, this track really kind of... Uh, sets the tone for what this record's going to be like uh, in how like stripped down and like simple the, uh, the song is and like, you know, all of these songs are, uh, but I feel like that makes the delivery of them that much more powerful. Yeah. And that's one of the, um, so my introduction to Gillian watch was a little bit uh, different. And I, I started listening to her around the time of, Oh brother, where art thou um, with the Coen brothers movie? And, uh, I think that was in 99, 2000. Um, and that was, uh, she was on the soundtrack um, with that, along with a lot of other bluegrass Americana. Um, and that kind of brought my attention to the, this whole bluegrass Americana scene. And um, each of her albums are different, but uh, they have that common theme of, of being simple, um, stripped down. And it's just the, uh, the two of them really, um, I mean, she's marketed as Gillian Welch, but it's really the duo of Dave Rawlings and, and Gillian Welch. And they've been a, a musical pair for a long time. And um, that's one of the other things I think it's interesting for, for us and picking that album is we, uh, you know, just being a, a two person act. Um, we kind of have, we draw a lot of inspiration from the two of them. I, can I didn't fully, <laughs> I didn't fully appreciate the Dave Rawlings side, Rawlings side of everything until I met Andy. Because to me, Gillian Welsh was Gillian Welsh, and she, um, they're so in sync you can't oftentimes even notice that he he's there, but it just enhances the sound so much more. Yeah, and all the harmonies are his voice, but their voices blend together so well that um, sounds like you, one you don't even always realize it. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely didn't pick up on that uh, in in every case. There were some where, like, it's it's obviously a different voice, but some, they're just so seamless. Yeah. Um, this record kind of calls to mind to me very much like a, an old-timey gospel sort of feel, which I think a lot of folk music does just by default, uh, or, like, folk-adjacent kind of rootsy music. Um, but, like, these songs, like, they remind me a lot of what I heard growing up. And uh, I think that, that that's kind of neat. Yeah, they definitely draw a lot on the um, folk and gospel tradition and uh, more than any other kind of modern folk um, act. They, you know, I, I, I like to listen, we, we we like to play a lot of the really old folk stuff and listen to a lot of the, uh, you know, really old stuff from the turn of the century and the 30s and Carter family and all that stuff. But more than any other act, um, Gillian Walsh's records um have a lot of references to that old old style folk music and specific references to old songs and things like that yeah so many things that you're saying have my brain just like bouncing around like oh, i want to talk about this no i'll talk about this. it's almost, it's almost like, like little... we should start a podcast about this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they have some easter eggs in their song that unless you're a listener of really old time music you're not going to catch but they'll allude to something in a, a couple of lyrics or even a riff on a banjo that harkens back to something earlier. Yeah. And we'll like make it a point to learn these old songs to uh, incorporate into our act. And then, um, you know, having memorized the lyrics, we'll hear some of her stuff and be like, Oh, that's what she's referencing. (laughs) Nice. Um, keeping with that theme, I like the old, old timey gospel feel. If I can pick one that, that jumped out at me, um, 
Dear someone. I wanna go all over the world and start living free. I know that there's somebody who is waiting. with that theme like right from the the first line like it's got that that feel to it there's just these beautiful harmonies that feel like a an early like early to mid 20th century love song like i feel like if you put some kind of like crackly static on this you could convince me that this was on the radio during the war (laughs) oh yeah you were just talking about yeah i was that it always gives me a little bit of a patsy klein vibe but it's Yeah. yeah it's um got a little more of a swing to it i love that song so I'm incredibly glad uh, to hear you say that this uh, that, that uh, Gillian Welch was on the uh, Oh Brother Art There soundtrack because uh, one of the first things that jumped out to me about um, your music, but then also her music, as I was listening to these to prepare for this episode, was like I'm getting some serious Oh Brother Where Art Thou vibes <laughs> from all yep. of this. Yep. And uh, I didn't, and I was actually kind of worried. I was like, you know, I don't know a lot about folk music. 
it's not really my uh you know go-to genre i don't you know have a, a vast knowledge of it so i don't know if i'm just saying like this sounds like the other folk music I've heard, so <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm glad to hear that like I was a, at least you know kind of uh spot on there. Yeah, so that was and you, totally I mean, spot on. The uh, so the Coen brothers have had several influential movies as far as um, folk music is concerned, and um, at some level, Gillian Waltz has been involved with with multiples of those. Um, Inside Lewin Davis. Um, which I think was 2013. Uh, she wasn't in the movie, but they did a concert in conjunction with the movie. Um, uh, and a lot of kind of modern folk Americana acts were involved in that concert, um, including Gillian Welch and Dave Rawlings and, and some of their cohort. Um, so that's, that's been one of the other big things for us, I think is we, we draw a lot on these Coen brothers movies that incorporate um, folk music and they seem to have their ear to the ground and in, in terms of both the old classics and the, the newer um, iteration of that. When we play longer shows and we're not just doing originals, we cover a lot of songs from that album and from the Inside Lewin Davis, uh, the musical album, um, and and definitely draw inspiration. I was always a big Alison Krauss fan growing up, um, and um, I, I find her inspiring my vocals a lot. As you're talking about, I'm realizing what movie Inside Lewin Davis is, and I really wanted to see that, and I never did. With a cat? So I'm assuming it's a recommend? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> like some of the other Coen Brothers movies. The first time you view it, uh, you might be left scratching your head a little bit. And um, <laughs> I think the more you know, the more times you see those movies, you pick up on things. I mean, The Big Lebowski is a good example of, of something like that. But um, uh yeah, it's a strange movie, but uh, it's especially as a music fan, um, it's definitely worth a watch. And uh, Oscar Isaac is the star in it, and, and he does a great job. I'll have to check that out as well. I've, I have not seen that one. Yeah, I remember sitting in a theater and like seeing that trailer come out, thinking like, "This looks really good." And then it's one of those things that just kind of like floated out of my <laughs> brain. <laughs> There's, I, I mean, I recommend the concert even maybe more than the movie. Yeah, it's called Another Day, okay. Another Another Day, Another Time, I believe. Yeah. Um, and it was on, I think it, they released it through Showtime, but um, it's got uh, Gillian Wells, Dave Rawlings Machine, which is his other side band. Um, Milk Carton Kids. Yeah, the Milk Carton Kids. Uh, Milk Carton Kids have a lot of similarities to uh, Gillian there's, and Dave. There's a part of it. I think Milk Carton Kids are singing a duet, and they it's two gentlemen, and they harmonize so beautifully. And... I think the lead singer of Mumford and Sons is getting choked up listening to them just play. I mean, it's <laughs> it's really moving. Yeah, that might be the place to start is to, uh, see if you can get your hands on that and, yeah. and then the movie as well. Yeah, okay. I'm looking all of this up as we're talking, <laughs> so that it's, it's there and I remember. If you find links uh, to those things, Caleb, please drop them in Slack so I can remember to put them in the show notes. Okay. And I love that uh, apparently there was a another uh, big concert uh, that was recorded, uh, part of uh, highlighting the uh, the Oh Brother We're Out There soundtrack. Um, yeah, is that the Down from the Mountain? The, yeah, Down from the Mountain. Um, and I, I remember I was I was sitting and listening to I Want to Sing That Rock and Roll, and I was like, Is this a live track? Oh yeah. And turns out it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was live, and, and I, that's it was from that uh, that concert series, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. That's that's where I made the O Brother Where Out Thou connection. Okay. So I was like, this I had the same feeling, like this sounds like it. And then there's another track where I'm like, this really sounds like <laughs> it could be. So then I, I started researching. I'm like, okay, yep. She was on the, the soundtrack a couple times. Uh, and it all, all the pieces start to fit together. I think the what's the the music video for Wagon Wheel? Don't they make a cameo in that too? They might because some of the guys from Wagon Wheeler and the Machine, Dave Rollins Machine. From uh Old Crow Medicine Show are involved in Dave Rollins Machine, yeah. Yeah, I think we were watching the video for that from the nineties. I don't even know what yeah. that would be. Dave's <laughs> Rucker song? No. Before. Oh yeah, the 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 original one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the one that he I just did a, a copied. quick search and he's the, the the first thing I see is Darius Rucker's face staring at me like, Man, remember all right. I think he popularized that song, but it was... It was the Old Crow Medicine. Old Crow Medicine show, but it was actually written by... Um, they had some lyrics that Bob Dylan had written that never never finished, and they kind of finished the song. Um, uh, Bob Dylan and Catch Secor? Yeah, he's... Uh, of Old Crow? He's from Old Crow, yeah. 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 Anyway, Neat. there's a video in... Which? Gillian is briefly in it. <laughs> she also she actually makes a brief cameo in Oh Brother Where Art Thou as oh, well. Oh yeah, that's right. It's hard to catch, but she's in it. I think she goes up to a counter and orders uh the record that became popular from the um Soggy Bottom Boys or whatever the <laughs> band was called. <laughs> yep. Soggy Bottom <laughs> What a great name for a band. <laughs> <laughs> I did not start out this week expecting to be uh reminiscing so much about Oh Brother Where Art Thou. But what a really great movie. Oh, what a fantastic movie. I think that was a, a point in my like young adult life where I realized that like that style of music was actually something that I could enjoy and like separate from the like oddities of my childhood. <laughs> yeah, I mean I I kind of felt the same way of like bluegrass is just being kind of a like a novelty kind of hillbilly sounding thing and and then that movie I think that movie brought it to the attention of a lot of people that um you know, it, it was kind of a modern revival of that style of music. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to, I'm, so I'm the guitar player. So I want to talk about guitar and, uh, it looks like, yeah. um, you've got a rack of guitars back there. So I'm assuming you're a guitar player as well. <laughs> uh, I pretend to be one from time to time, <laughs> but anyway, um, so we were listening to, um, Elvis Presley blues. I was thinking that night. Daddy died. 
to John Henry in there um, that I, I thought was interesting. And then I went back and I, I thought the tune kind of sounded familiar and um, went back to the Mississippi. John Hurt um, is one of my favorite old time guitar players. Um, I mean, he was around in the twenties and thirties and then fell into obscurity and then kind of came back uh, in the folk revival in the sixties. Um, but uh, they, they make a reference to John Henry in that song. And um, when we were just listening to it, uh, kind of reviewing before this podcast, uh, I was thinking about how that sounded a lot like, um, Mississippi John Hurt's guitar playing. And we, we went back and listened to, uh, it's called spike driver blues or sometimes it's called John Henry. Um, but there's a lot of different variations of it, but, uh, the guitar playing sounds very similar. And, um, so just in the same way that there are these Easter eggs that, uh, Gillian Welch uses in her lyrics to other songs, um, Dave Rawlings and his guitar playing makes a lot of references musically to this old time canon of, of folk music. Um, and that's so cool. Yeah. That, that was kind of a, the example that I picked up on most recently, but if, if you go back and listen to uh, doc Watson, um, he was, I think doc Watson was actually a personal friend when he was older of Gillian Welch and Dave Rawlings, but uh, he kind of bridged the gap between the old style guitar players and the, a lot of the newer bluegrass pickers. Um, so, I mean, Dave Rawlings and is, he's an amazing guitarist and 
I wish that I could play half the things that he can play, but um, he's an inspiration, at least uh, to the songs that I try to play and write. I love the layers of complexity there that like you can just sit and listen to these songs for like how beautiful and simple they are. But like if you really know the the genre, the inspirations and whatnot, like you're making these deep cut references to other like classic songs. Uh, and I just think that that's a really cool way to like to be able to get like layers of experience out of the same song. Yeah. And I, that kind of goes back to the I mean, they've got this this simplicity in their sound, but um, there's a lot of layers to it and uh you know, the more you listen to it, the more the more meaning there is. I mean, that's probably true for for anything, but um, I think especially you know, first grant at first glance, it seems simple, but there's a there's a lot there. Yeah, that was pretty much in line with my experience of listening to this record. Like first pass through, I'm just like, okay, yeah, really, like really just kind of like easy listening, simple folksy songs, and then listen back through and like starting to hear more nuance and like listen more closely to some of the lyrics. I think. Uh, in particular, you're talking about Elvis Presley blues. There's a, a really interesting uh, like contrast there where she's talking about um, Elvis's like decline and like kind of dying alone and in like you know not by far not his prime versus John Henry like like in like his peak uh, but with a smile on his face doing you know, like doing the work. And uh, I think that that's a really interesting comparison that I, I don't know that I would have ever thought to make. Um, yeah, just as a songwriter, uh, Gillian Welch is far and away, you know, one of the, one of the better songwriters that, that I've listened to. Um, uh, the other, the other track that I really want to talk about was, um, everything is free now. Everything is free now. That's what they say. Everything I ever done Gonna give it away Someone hit the big score They figured it out That we're gonna do it anyway Even if it doesn't pay They figured it out 
gonna do it anyway Even if it doesn't pay You know, I think that deals with some of her personal struggles as a songwriter. And I think this was, so this was 2001 and this was when Napster and, and everything had come out and, uh, they weren't like, I, I don't get the sense that it was like Metallica and when they were, uh, railing against everyone, everyone downloading, but this was kind of a much more personal reaction to the changing, uh, music industry. And, um, you know, if you're a songwriter in Nashville, it's, it's difficult enough to, um, you know, to make ends meet, uh, off based on your songs. And I think this was kind of her reaction to the, the changing world of, of music. And that's, that's kind of been something that has continued for the last couple of decades of, um, it's not necessarily the, the, the most lucrative business to be in. No, no, it is not. not, especially right now during the, <laughs> <laughs> the quarantine, but I think also there'd been pressure after Gillian moved to to Nashville, there'd been pressure for her to move on from Dave and to join a band or something like that. And she was pretty firm that they were sticking together. I think he was, what, the only person that she could tolerate writing with or something like that? Yeah, yeah I, I, I remember hearing something like <laughs> something that. Something like that. They were in like a writing workshop together or something. Yeah, I think that's how they met. Maybe. Yeah, but um, so maybe she could have gone and become a little more commercial in Nashville in front of a band, but it wouldn't have been genuine to what music she was creating. And I think a lot, she was, um, she was adopted and she has another song called orphan girl. That's on another album that, that we sing that I love. But, um, a lot of what I've read about her and a lot of her music is about feeling like an imposter or searching for something continuously. Um, and I feel like she found that in, in Dave. And so they're, they're home for each other and that's not going to change. Yeah. It's, it's hard to find someone that you can really, really like mesh with and write with and like who gets no. it. And yeah, you can't just walk away from I that. Think... <clears throat> no, you cannot. I also love the, uh, the, the bit of conflict and, uh, the, like trying to make it in music and like understand like it's getting harder and harder and like, uh, what you know the the advent of the digital age, which could in theory have made it easier for people to to make it in music, like you said with with Napster and with streaming music, uh, definitely didn't necessarily have the full opposite effect, but definitely it was a hindrance. Uh, and then that that moment of thinking like, I mean, I could just get a job. Yeah, like um, I I could do it. I don't want to, but I could. And like having to make that decision as a musician. And that's, that's one of my favorite lines um, right after she starts talking about that in that song is she says, I never minded working hard. It's who I'm working for. And that's a, I think that's a struggle that anyone mm-hmm. who's held a, held a day job can, can relate to. I know there was a, a very long period of my life where <laughs> the most important thing about any job I had was how easily I could quit it. <laughs> well, do you want to pick... Uh one more song from this record to take us out of this half of the podcast. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about red clay halo? 
Uh, yeah, we can talk, talk about that. Do you want a that. different song in mind? We can talk about Red Clay Halo. Um, uh, that's one of the ones we like to play. We play that song a lot. <laughs> Almost to the point where I forgot what it actually sounded like until we were listening to it today because I'm so familiar with the version that's in my head yep. um, that we sing. Um, and, I mean, Gillian does it so much better, but uh, Allegedly. it was nice to... <laughs> <laughs> there's no competition there um but that's a that's one of um we play that song rather fast um and that's one of our only one of our very few upbeat songs uh we like to break up our sad songs with a little punch of upbeat music and red clay halo is one of those tunes for us that was one of the ones that like really jumped out at me is feeling very like the oh brother we're out thou vibe um and that was yeah it was yeah. really on the second listen through the first time i was just appreciating the harmonies how like flawless they are and then the second time through i'm like this really feels like, oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love the imagery of that song i love playing it because i don't know it's always we're always trying to play it a little bit faster every time we play it it's just really fun to play and it's fun to sing um yeah. yeah, I think on especially on this album, that's probably the song that is the most similar to like a, like a Stanley Brothers bluegrass song. Um, and some of their other albums are a little a little more uh, bluegrass influenced, I guess. But um, that has kind of that old time um, beat to it and uh, up tempo and uh, fast guitar flat picking. Yeah, just fun. And then, I mean, lyrically, I guess that song is, it's not necessarily uplifting either, like any of their <laughs> other songs, but, you know, I, they kind of, it's more about the hopefulness of what you deal with after you're done, uh, you know, working and yeah, having a hard life. Yeah, the imagery that it calls to mind of, like, the, almost like the, the stains of life, that, like, they're just, like you said, they're just, yeah. like, they become a part of you, and, like, you know, there's no amount of washing physically or like spiritually that's going to take that out. And so like when you get to where you're going at the end, like that's just who you are. Yeah. I just love the, there's some lines about, well, obviously the the red clay dirt just kind of being caked to your feet and mm-hmm. uh, there's um, dust in the summer and um, the cows. And uh, I was thinking of being by the river and having just mud up to your knees and, drying and the different colors of the mud and it's just it, it's so such evocative imagery i just love it yeah the color of the dirt on the mountainside <laughs> all right so uh let's listen to red clay halo by uh gillian welch and when we come back we will be talking about uh no family at all by catching the westbound stay tuned oh the girls all dance with the boys from the city and they don't care to dance with me Now it ain't my fault that the fields are muddy And the red clay stains my feet And it's under my nails And it's under my collar And it shows on Sunday clothes Oh, do my best with the soap and the water But the day
Hello, I'm Casey Ryan. And I'm Todd Panic. Join us on the Superpod HeroCast as we drink beers and talk about movies with capes. Superhero movies. The good, the bad, the mutants? Sure, let's go with that. From Batman the movie to the latest blockbuster. Great movie? Sweet. We'll tell you why. Absolute bomb. We're going to watch it anyways. And our misery is your entertainment. Get the latest episode, grab your cape, and join us on the Superpod HeroCast as we save the universe. One superhero movie at a time. Supplies. 
in its flu You're still listening to Left of the Dial. I am still Kitsy. Caleb is still... I forget what I said for you earlier. Unavoidable. Unavoidable. Caleb is still unavoidable. <laughs> you can't get ridable. That's next week. <laughs> and it'll still it'll still surprise me, even if you do it. it like, it'll surprise me if I do it, because about mean I will have remembered it for a week, which is unlikely. <laughs> I won't see it coming. You never do. I never do. So, who wants to talk about what we just heard? That this will oh, be. Me. We, we'll have played it. one of your songs coming into that. <laughs> Presumably um, in order, unless you have a, a good reason not oh. to. Yeah, let's go in order. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be, but whatever order you want them in is the order they'll go in. Let's just go in order. We'll go in order. The first track is called Washed in the River, and that's actually a track that Andy wrote. I think it's the only one that I wrote on Yeah, the other three EP. are mine. We share songwriting duties. It just happened that three of the four on this EP are mine. Um, do you want to talk about Washed in the River? Um, yeah. <laughs> do you remember this song? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we don't play that one much live. We almost never play it out. Um, but we should. We should. Uh, yeah, so the, I don't know, thinking about, um, we were just talking about Red Clay Halo, and I don't know, I didn't intentionally draw inspiration from that, but um, the whole kind of theme of uh, having something you can't get rid of and clean yourself from um, kind of uh, comes through in that song as well. Um, but I actually started to write it one day when I was taking a shower, I think, and trying to uh, think about, you know, where I was going with my life. And I don't know, I just had this idea in my head of, uh, taking a shower in the, you know, the water is coming from the Mississippi river and, uh, how clean can you get when you're washing in dirty water? Um, and I don't know, it just, it, uh, kind of led to, led to a song. Is your water think, uh, coming from the river? <laughs> uh, it must come from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all from Mississippi, or Mississippi or Missouri River water. Because I mean, I where you just are. in general, we have really good water here. In- we do the water. We have the best. That's because of, I've heard yeah. that's because of Budweiser being here, and they lobbied for good water filtration. So uh, I heard the other way around that the reason that we have such a, a strong established brewing scene is because we had such good water to begin with but oh, that might have been it's the chicken ab propaganda because I, yeah. I think i first heard that doing the ab tour so maybe that i was also their, living their in uh i was living over in alton illinois at the time and um no i don't i don't want to slight alton or anything but they're <laughs> i think the water is better tasting on this side of the river well you would ha- often have a uh, water boil advisories yeah over there 
When yeah. I was growing up, we we were not allowed to drink the tap water because it was. I'm from Arizona, and okay. uh, the tap water there is very disgusting. It's safe. You, it's safe. We I just weren't allowed when I go there. <laughs> I think they so did a like, test on it, and they found levels of arsenic and also skin in the water. Like that human skin. Yeah, I remember them saying that that's, they found skin in the water. That's an odd thing to find in the water. It's, now, yeah, not okay, ideal. hold on, hold on. <laughs> this could be my childhood brain distorting what my what I was told. I swear they said arsenic and skin. When, when you think about how much water there is in a, in a city's water system, and how much skin there would have to be in that water. <laughs> For, for someone to say there's skin in the water. Like detectable levels of yeah. skin. Like that's that's like a lot of skin. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get a call from the Department of Health in Arizona or the Department of Tourism and they're going to yell at me, but... I swear, or, skin. I think that... Uh, I think what you just said, detectable levels of skin, would be a good album title for like a goth... <laughs> yes. Maybe. A goth punk rock band. It also makes me wonder if there's maybe like significantly more like mob activity in that area than you something is happening. So like, there's like a canal bodies turning up in the water. They're they were always finding bodies in the canals. (laughs) See, that's probably where the that's where the skin comes from. That yeah, that'll do it. That makes sense. (laughs) We have uh, (laughs) mystery. We kind of have a hobby of. We have a hobby of writing kind of a creepy songs that don't end up on, well, we don't have much music recorded, but um, this could be, I think, an inspiration for another, a scary monster song. Yeah, we're putting at some point together a Halloween-esque album of the songs that don't make it to the actual Catching the Westbound albums that are scary. (laughs) And have, um, what are those characters called? Well, there's Ribbon Man, there's Mr. Stipe, there's... <laughs> no, what a, like, what's the Bigfoot called? Crypto? Oh, Crypto. Crypto Cryptozoological. Cryptids, yeah. yeah. They're, they're all basically cryptid songs about cryptids. The Flatwoods That monsters. we've created. Some of them we've created. Mm. I love it. Anyway, that could be, that could be an inspiration. Um, well, I think Detectable Levels of Skin needs to be a song on that. I mean, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it will be. <laughs> uh, so I, th- I think it's really like interesting learning, uh, uh, I guess, for me, being introduced to Gillian Welch after originally being introduced to, to your music and then like having a chance to, to see the similarities. Like you mentioned, like it wasn't necessarily like an intentional inspiration, but there like is a, a very similar vibe in these songs, like in the, the, the lyric writing and in the, the way the songs uh, are performed. And I think that's really cool. But one thing that stood out to me a little bit about your songs is that uh, they feel a little bit more layered, like a little less stripped down and like there's some kind of more intricacy to it. And I think that that's really neat. So like, um, I guess this is a, a great way to segue into like, tell us about the band, like tell us about your, your history. Obviously we know at least one influence, but uh, you know, a little bit more about how catching the Westbound became a thing. Yeah. Um, well, Andy's always played in bands, um, and I grew up playing the piano, um, never singing. Um, and then we met as a couple who were dating and dated for, what, three years before the concept of ever playing music together came up. 
Um, wow. And I think I, I say it jokingly, but he was always playing his damn guitar anytime <laughs> I was over there. And at some point I had to get on board with this activity or jump ship. Right, so, if you can't beat him, join him. Yeah. <laughs> it was constant, <laughs> constant. I would be trying to have a conversation and he'd be sitting there playing. So, um, yeah. So then I just participated and we found some songs that we had common ground on and played those together. We did, um, you know, we did some open mics and we, one of our first gigs was a gigs was a, um, Street Musicians Festival in Dogtown, which no longer exists. Dogtown exists, but not the <laughs> festival. <laughs> right. Dogtown's still there. Um, but they got rid of the festival. Um, yeah, and then we each took turns writing, and we've been playing music together ever since and are still together romantically as well. Oh, Somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and from my perspective, so 2013, I think, was, uh, we started playing in 2014, and 2013 was when Inside Lewin Davis came out, and I remember when I saw that concert, um, my dad is actually the one who turned me on to that movie, and he was living in uh, Chicago and New York in the 60s, and so he was kind of aware of the, that's what the movie, the movie kind of takes place in the folk scene in the 60s, Um, so my dad uh, had a fondness for that time period, and he had, um, kind of dragged me to watch that movie and I'm, I'm glad that I did, but it inspired me. And one of the songs, um, Oscar Isaac plays a, uh, Dave Van Ronk song. Um, it's, uh, he does hang me. Oh, hang me. And then he does, um, Oh, green, green, Rocky road. And it's like a finger picking style syncopated, um, guitar playing that I had never done before. And I remember seeing that and thinking like, I gotta learn how to play like that. Um, I had played in, rock bands myself i you know i was in a hardcore punk band called absolute zero so this was um a shift for me as well and then i spent the next year trying to learn how to play guitar like that and that's when emily was that's when we were kind of um we'd been dating for a couple years at that point but i i was playing guitar a lot and then i drug her into it and uh here we are Yes, I had no intention of having a musical career. (laughs) Back up, buddy. I mean, it it feels like it's working out really well. Um, Yeah, I mm -hmm. think it's a good um, it's a good activity to keep us motivated on uh, doing something other than the regular work thing, and also just have something in our relationship that we we have in common. I know he gets frustrated because I don't like to practice. She I has, still have flashbacks to being forced to practice the piano growing up. So the word practice makes me cringe. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, which, which is more grating to you, practice or rehearse? Ooh. Practice. So if I just ref, if I rephrase it okay. and we're rehearsing, that's... No, I don't like that she either. She doesn't like that either. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come up with a better term. I need the trick. I you need to trick me into it. To somehow. trick her into doing it. Yeah. Refining. Yeah. You just need to jam. Jamming. Iterating. Yeah. yeah. I don't care for that. <laughs> I, I I do love the uh, the imagery in this song. Again, you, you mentioned it's it, kind of similar to uh, Red Clay Halo, but just personally, I um so I, I didn't grow up in this area. 
technically. I, you know, I'm from upstate New York, but uh, I spent like every summer and every like Christmas break of my childhood in in this area because that's where most of my family was. And so like I just early on fell in love with this region and with the, the Mississippi and with the city of St. Louis. And so anytime I, I listen to songs like this that have that imagery of the, of the river, specifically like anytime it's the yeah. river. Like doesn't matter which river it is. It's just you know that it's it's the river, and whatever is the river in your heart, like that's what the song's about. And I love yeah, that. Um, and yeah, that's always been a big draw for me. Is the I mean the imagery of the Mississippi River and being a river town, and um, there's a lot there. Uh, the other thing is I, that song, in a way, it's kind of a gospel song, um, and you know a lot of the music we listen to references. Um, older gospel music. And I, I tried to incorporate some of that into the song too. Um, uh, just with some references to water and, and forgiveness and things like that. I think water shows up in quite a few of our original songs, water and trains. Those are recurring themes. That's, that's another thing I really like is trains. So it's like, it's ticked the boxes for me. <laughs> There's two things Caleb likes. It's water and trains. <laughs> Me too. So you get him some train water and he's happy all day. Love train water. It's nothing better. <laughs> what is Ooh, what like train the stuff water they be? pour into the steam, just got me steam engines, like whatever they use. Don't they have a water tank on those? I don't know. I was thinking of the food they serve you on an Amtrak train. Which some yeah. is good and but don't Yeah. That's where don't my get brain the hot went. dog. My brain also went the opposite direction to uh, water trains, like a barge. So, like instead of instead of boats, instead of boats, you have you have a train that goes on the water. It's just a bunch of boats. <laughs> so it's kind of like each a, other. like those barges that go <laughs> yeah. down the river. They're they're usually a couple hooked up in a row. I guess that could be a water train. That's true. But the- anyway, aren't we here to talk about something? Brother and sister. Brother and sister. Brother and sister. We started out small, just a bird and a call. You were strong, but I was much smarter. Oh, and her water, a son and a daughter. The worst kind of family is no family at all. We were both in agreement that the town we were leaving wasn't a place meant for us. So we packed our suitcases, we paid on the races, enough for two seats on the only little It isn't the changing so much as the season it is the answer so much as the reason oh brother don't wonder your feet they need a rest in oh god don't take him my soul don't need testing Ooh. 
You got pinched down in Pueblo with another man's fortune and a woman with two bruised eyes. Your guitar on your lap, you said, I ain't going back. And the last thing I saw was your two tail eyes. Well, you hadn't gone far in no grave. that concludes my contribution to the album and then uh, the other three are in the Yes. All right. Well, nice talking to you. Take care. Have a good, uh, good week. Well, brother and sister are sort of inspired by Andy. So I, I am a twin. I have a twin brother. I am also a twin. He's and I have also, a twin sister. Yeah. Now. What, what are the we're chances? Not, we're not twins with, with each, each other. other. <laughs> we like to clarify but that. We are twins. That we were twins wild. separately. We did not meet at a twin convention. Well, we, we, on our first date, like she, she was saying stuff like, oh, I like these type of movies, books, whatever. And I'm like, oh yeah, me too. And then she was like, I'm a twin. I'm like, yeah, I'm a twin too. And she thought I was just like agreeing with everything that she was saying as a strategy. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. But in that case, it was true. But I mean, did it work? Clear, Clear, I, yeah. It worked. That was, that was the, the moment is, I knew. The rest <laughs> is history. See now, now in in my head, I've already crafted this whole elaborate fiction where you have uh, like kept this lie about being a twin going. Well, for there is years, some like to there the point of like you know pretending to be your twin and like just the whole crazy thing. You you do wear the same dress size as your twin, I believe. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we did a Talking Heads show. I played bass in a a band, and we would do album cover a cover of uh, albums every year and one year we did the stop making sense uh talking heads thing and i oh, we, so we cool. tried to dress up so i wore the uh, the brace player um this blonde female so i had to wear the wig and the dress and everything and i borrowed my sister's dress wear the same dress size yeah we're twins so it makes <laughs> sense it's good to know the plot thickens <laughs> i have met her she's real have you have you seen the two of them in the same room at the same time? I have. Yes. <laughs> Many times. It's very obvious when we're in the same room at the same time because we we're great friends and great at and great enemies. Enemies, great at being enemies, frenemies. Uh, That's what twins are for. I shouldn't say we're enemies, but we're uh, we have a fun twin relationship. No one knows you better than your twin, and so they know how to needle you. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'd believe that. You're their best friend, yeah. but also, you know how to 
destroy them, make them angry. Yeah. So I wrote a song called brother and sister. Um, kind of about how twins always stick together. Um, and no matter how far apart they are, or what things they're getting into, they come back to one another. My, my, well, actually, both of our twins live on the other side of the country, so we don't get to see them as much as we would like. Um, but I always know that whatever he's getting up to in his life, um, as soon as we start talking again, we'll fall back into our twin twin roles. Um, yeah, and it was from it was a line in this song that the EP title came from: "No family at all." Um, the worst kind of family is no family at all is the line. Do you have like a kind of a typical process for writing or is it just kind of like you know, for, for a lot of people, every song is different for some, like you have like a way that you approach it. Like how does that work for, for you too? Um, so I'm a chronic hummer. I hum nonstop. It's really <laughs> annoying for everyone else. It's very debilitating. Um, <laughs> And I'll often have like a melody that gets stuck in my head and then, um, yeah, I'll just have words for it and I'll have a line or two from that and then build us something off of that. That's how I do it. Um, yeah, I usually, uh, I usually try to come up with a little melody first and then I will build some lyrics around that. Um, we generally, so we'll write songs separately as lyrically, um, but Emily will a lot of times come to me with, with a, a melody that she has, and then I'll put it together in uh, instrumental with the instrumental arrangement and everything. Um, but she'll, whenever you do come up with a song, you usually uh, at least have a melody and the the structure and everything. Yeah. So we do some collaboration in that sense, but we also have our own separate songwriting processes. Yeah, there's a song. It's not on the EP that we play called Ava Owl. It was actually, we're hoping to make it on the next album, um, but it was inspired by his relatives in Calhoun County over on the other side of the river. Um, but that was, you were teaching me what a hammer-on. Yeah, on the ukulele. A hammer-on on the ukulele, and I was doing it in A minor, and then we just started kind of jamming off of that, and you wrote something over that. Um, and that's where that song came from, the, the actual music to that song. And then I wrote words over the top of that. But Neat. Yeah, so we'll go back and forth like that. Sometimes it starts with the music. Sometimes it starts yeah. with a, a lyric. But um, we've each probably contributed about half and half to our overall catalog. That, um, Like Emily said, we've we've been planning on putting this album out for a couple of years. But it keeps getting pushed back as, as life gets in the way of it. I think it's actually good that it got pushed back because last year we were doing this um, songwriter challenge with some friends that are all across the country and we would have to come up with a new song every mm. week, which was really stressful because sometimes you're just not feeling creative once a week. But um, a lot of really great yeah. stuff came out of that experiment and it's really rough and it's on its own little SoundCloud somewhere hidden away. But I think there are some tunes on that that we could refine for the album that otherwise, if had we gone ahead with the album in the time frame that we had been imagining, um, they wouldn't have made it on there. Maybe we even have enough material for two at this point. And, we're excited. And the link to that is in the show notes. <laughs> 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 uh, 
so you you talked a little bit about your your musical influence and and in particular the uh, you know, the notion of like hearing this style of guitar and like needing to learn how to to play it. Um, was this kind of like an intentional choice or just kind of something that you fell into in this uh, this scene that's helping to keep this like folksy rootsy uh, gospel jet, uh, bluegrass stuff alive in this uh, modern. Um, I, well, I think it was definitely intentional, um, and in the sense that I, you know, I kind of I, I identified that that's that was something that I wanted to play, and um, you know, kind of move our. Well, I guess when we first started writing music together, we didn't have as much of a direction. But it, um, my focus when I was kind of re, uh, not not relearning, but I, you know, made this effort to learn a new style of guitar playing. Um, I, I wanted to kind of head into that folk direction, but, um, that kind of evolved more as we started playing open mics and then, um, writing songs about the, you know, Emily's first song that she wrote was the train song that's on this album. And we, we kind of started writing songs that lyrically were in that same vein. And, uh, you know, we kind of continued down that, that path. I got strong legs and a sense of adventure My mama was all state for Ooh, that was so long Ooh, you know I gotta go I do my yoga on top of a boxcar a natural fit for the style that Andy plays and the types of songs that we write and then maybe my vocal style as well it seems all of it well suited to this style of for music sure. um, I think you've asked me before if we weren't playing this type of music what would you want to be playing because this all kind of came out of his brainchild um and I think this is what I'd want to be playing. It's what I listen to the most. So, um, and in fact, sometimes I have to actually not listen to music that I want to listen to because I don't want to hear something and accidentally cannibalize it. Um, like a melody or something. Oh, I wouldn't know anything about that. (laughs) It's a real danger. So 
It's a lot. It's better for me if I just listen to top forty in the rate on the radio, driving to work or something, instead of something I actually want to listen to because there's not much danger of me accidentally stealing a melody from a pop song or something. Well, then even if you do, it's it you know taking right. it to a different genre, it, it completely transforms it anyway. So it's it's almost more fun to steal <laughs> uh, ideas and inspiration from uh, you yeah. know different genres like that because because then you know when you do kind of rip something off it's not as as much of a rip off because you've taken it yeah. and made something new with and it and that's mm -hmm. there's kind of a um interesting dynamic when you get into folk music because folk music there's so much um that's like part of the foundation of folk music is that it draws on other songs that exist and um you know these songs get changed over time as people remember them differently or interpret them differently or uh play them differently but you know, there's a, there's definitely the, um, the incorporation of, of a lot of past elements when you, when you play folk music and, uh, whether that's intentional or not, you know, that kind of stuff can, can show up on your songwriting. Um, and like we go back to the Easter egg thing of Gillian Welch, you know, some of that might be intentional references to things. Some of that might be just, um, being steeped in the folk tradition and that, that kind of stuff just showing up there. But, um, I think that that's the cool thing about folk music is there's more of a uh, idea of uh, this shared heritage um, than maybe some other genres of music where you're trying to m create a unique sound or something. Um, so I think there's some comfort there in like drawing off of a of an established tradition and and being able to um, you know play the same three chords that other people have played in different variations and, and come up with their own take on it, but. Um, and I guess, uh, not to ramble on too much about that, but that's, that reminds me of what I wanted to say earlier when you asked about why we, was, was it intentional to kind of focus on this style of music? Um, but I like to think of it as some people will think of folk music as its own just niche genre, uh, thing, but really the more you listen to it, the more you realize that it's, um, it's ingrained in a lot of American music, including rock music mm -hmm. and blues. And it, to me, all that stuff is intertwined. And if you go back far enough, it's all got the same roots. Um, that's one of the interesting things to go back to the Gillian Welch song. I want to sing that rock and roll. It's a, you know, it's a song about rock and roll, but it's not a rock song. Um, I don't know. To me, it reminds me of like that Everly Brothers um, early rock and roll coming out of the Kentucky, um, you know, coal mining towns and stuff. And there's a lot of intertwining that you might not see on the surface of rock music and of folk music and blues and, and all that. Um, and that, that's one of the things that fascinates me about the style of music that we play. And it makes me kind of feel like we can, we can draw on all this stuff and we can play all these different varieties and, and still kind of call it folk and Americana. I mean, I know that like that there's a, a fairly uh, active community, but like, what's like, what is that scene like here in St. Louis? Like, do you, do you find a lot of, um, uh, a lot of active like folk and uh, bluegrass musicians in in the area. Like, is there like a really like welcoming community? What's like, what is it? Yeah, like? there are a lot of bands that are either Americana or Americana adjacent. I'm not sure how they would define themselves. I think Americana gets used as kind of a catch-all these days, especially in St. Louis. Um, yeah. And there are also a lot of players in various bands that kind of are inter. They they're in one band and then they're in another band. So there's a lot of, um, I don't know, if specialists. And so they rotate various bands all kind of in the same scene. And that's nice too, because you run into the same people, various places, and there's a good institutional 
knowledge of Americana in St. Louis, we were really welcomed with open arms when we started playing music. We found so many supportive people in the open mic community. And then when we started playing shows, other artists um, that we would open for um, or would um, connect us with bookers or something like that. It's, um, you know, we'll go through phases where we have a lot of shows back to back and then some more quiet times. Um, but it's, it's a really pleasant community to be a part of. It's not competitive. Everyone's really supportive. Everyone seems to really appreciate the music. And we've been really happy to meet all the people that we've met by playing music outside of our normal lives. Um, yeah, it's we've met some incredible people doing this and being in, in St. Louis's music scene, which is very talented. There are some amazing artists in St. Louis. Um, yeah that I wish would get more national recognition. Yeah. And, uh, specifically to like the folk Americana scene, um, we've done a couple of last couple of years, we've done the river city Opry, which they, I, I don't know if they do it just in the summer, but down and off Broadway, they'll have, um, it's on a Sunday afternoon. Usually that's like a, that's a good afternoon gig. Yeah. Um, and they'll have four or five different acts all in kind of the, country folk genre um get together and that's been a cool way to meet some of the other other people who play this kind of music around town and so i remember hearing about that last year uh but i never got to make it down to but it seems yeah really fun I think, um brad jackson kind of coordinates that um and i think it goes all year as long as weather permits obviously it's not happening right now, but, um, yeah, we've been lucky to play that a couple times and we played the RFT showcase one year and, um, man, we met some really cool people doing that too. Just being up in the green room area. For people outside of St. Louis, RFT is riverfront times. Uh, everybody, every town has that, uh, free local, uh, events and news, uh, sort of, uh, weekly mm -hmm. magazine. That's ours. Yeah, one of the bands we connected with first when we started playing was the Cara Louise Band. I think they just go by Cara Louise now, um, and they do country Americana. Um, and, um, yeah, they had us open for them when they were playing with the Future Birds that came through town. We did that at the bootleg, and that was so supportive for them to include us in that. We had really just started playing Um that's one of our favorite gigs. Yeah, it's it's just been a really supportive community. There hasn't been any nastiness or drama. Everyone is very nice. Um, Susie Q, who does the, what, three, four, five shows at... Um, Was that uh, at Venice? Yeah, at Venice Cafe. She's had us come and play those. Okay. Um, yeah, people are just really nice here. And it's a small enough town that, like, you're always running into somebody that, you know, and we, especially in the music community, will be out of the show or something or just out of the restaurant and... and uh, you know, it's cool to, to meet people and, and be able to bump into people that you recognize from, from the music scene. So of course, uh, you already kind of gave us a little bit of a, a lead in segue earlier, but, uh, I want to talk a little bit about yeah. train song because we, we've already talked about how much we love trains. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, I guess I kind of have to ask what feels to me like the obvious question, like is the, the band name, is that a, a train reference, like the Westbound train? Yeah, so actually I think this song, so the the song has the words catching the westbound in it um, in some capacity. It's a old train jumping 
terminology. It's an allusion to to dying. Um, when you catch the westbound, you you died. Um, okay. Yeah, there's a whole kind of hobo train jumping vernacular, um, and that's one of the terms from that um, lexicon. But um, I was driving down 44, I think headed towards almost to Kirkwood, and I started writing that song out loud in my car. I uh, had the pleasure of knowing someone earlier in my life who was a train jumper and who would tell me all sorts of stories about jumping trains and um, I was trying to picture what qual- what qualifications that would make me pr- particularly skilled at jumping trains if I tried it. Um, and that's where that inspiration kind of came <laughs> from. But I drew a lot on um, stories he had told me about his time train jumping across the country. He's actually in Pennsylvania now. That was That's where that song came from. And that's one of our very first songs that we ever added to our repertoire. Um, so we played it so much that sometimes I think we skip it because sometimes you get sick of your own songs, but that song still holds a a place in my heart. I really like that song. I had no idea that people still did train jumping. Yeah, it's quite, apparently quite the art. Um, so I was always, every time uh, I see a train passing, we're not too far from train tracks where we live. I always try and see if there's anybody riding on top. I really appreciate it. None of these songs on this uh, EP have uh, drums on them, but like in my in my mind, I liked kind of hearing what I thought the the drums would be, and I really heard like kind of a like a snare shuffle yeah. on this song, which goes so well with the train imagery, and um, you know, it, it sounds like I'm kind of on the right track with that. <laughs> you could say that. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think the way you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't deserve that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think the way Andy designed the music for that song was to make it mimic the sound of a train. Um, and there are a couple of vocal parts that are meant to sound like a train as well. And that, that kind of uh, mentioning the idea of having drums or something. Um, one of the differences between the album is, you know, we'll do overdubs and I'll add different instrumentation. Like I think um, brother and sisters, the, best example of that where it's got it's got a lot more going on than just a guitar and ukulele ukulele and vocals so that'll have a different sound from our live shows um on our future albums i kind of plan to incorporate some more stuff not not necessarily drums but um i've got a shelf full of instruments down in the basement and i've got to find some way to use them all so yeah or you have to get rid of that gotta get that washboard in there that's a good point yeah (laughs) if we get through all of our laundry, then I can make the washboard available to uh, <laughs> musical purposes. Of course, we, we've touched on it a little bit, and it's kind of the, the unavoidable topic right now. Like, we're all at home. Like, music uh, as, like, a live entertainment thing has kind of uh, ground to a halt. So, like, like how is that affecting you two? Like, it sounds like you, you're still doing the, the day job thing. Does that... Is that true? Is that accurate? Yeah, we we both have day jobs, and we're lucky enough that they have not been disrupted. Um, I mean, Andy's working from home. I work from home most of the time. I work for a nonprofit, so we're doing some uh, direct aid right now. So I go in a few hours a week and do that. So I'll make sure people have food and supplies. But um, yeah, we're really lucky that we don't rely we don't rely on music. Uh, for our income. We do it because we like doing it. Um, right we've reached out to a few artists who this is like music is their whole thing. 
um, which is amazing, um, but also really risky. And so if people are needing assistance right now, we're, um, we're all part of the same community and we're happy to help. But um, I think also we haven't been playing as much music during the break. There's this pressure to be creative while we're both at home and it's, it hasn't happened. But I think we're finally going to try and do a live show this Saturday and get some music out there. Right yeah, we're yeah. going to do like a live stream on Facebook or yeah. something like that. And yeah, Emily was, um, or she was telling me earlier, she was trying to buy albums from people in the um, music community. And this is a good time to, you know, if you're interested in picking up some local music, it's a good way to support people who are uh, not getting to play gigs right now. Yeah, go pick up some merch, pick up some albums. Lots of our friends are in the music scene are going live and doing shows for tips. You can put tips in their tip jar, their virtual tip jar. Um I think this could, I mean, more people doing that lead to more exposure for people. And, you know, like we were saying earlier, not everybody wants to go out to a show and (laughs) stay out, out, stay out till midnight or one o'clock. And, you know, if we, people make their music more available like that, uh, maybe this will lead to some good things where, you know, use technology to, to share this stuff in a way that can benefit bands and the people who want to see the music. Going to shows was always kind of a a mixed bag for me too, because I always loved being there and like being, like seeing the music and like, being a part of the community and getting to know people and whatnot, but like just being there was always a really awkward thing for me. <laughs> so it's been something comforting about being able to sit in my home and like still have this like feeling of like kind of a, an, an intimate connection with artists that are like still putting themselves out there and like doing the live streams. And so like, it's, it's been really cool to see people who are able to, to keep doing that. Cause like you said, it's, uh, there's there's definitely a, a lot of pressure, and I think that's been a, a bit of a recurring theme as we've talked to artists at home now. Uh, we're like, why aren't you being creative? Like, why don't you have like three new records right. done? Right. Like, you know, I'm I'm processing this right. too. And like, I think a, a lot of people don't get that. Yeah, we were talking about that. We've been doing lots of walking in the neighborhood because what else is there to do? Um, and I was saying, I feel like if I knew a deadline. I feel more inclined to start doing something, but I, there's just this unknown of when this is going to end and it's almost been very paralyzing. So I keep thinking, why haven't I read more books? Well, I have yeah, shelves, shelves full of books that I could be reading. <laughs> why is that not happening during this quarantine? But yeah, there is this idea of uncertainty and just uh, not knowing what the plan is that, yeah. that makes it difficult to kind of, commit to doing anything did y'all have uh shows that were scheduled or like like recording in the works or things yeah. like that that were, were canceled we had two gigs so far that have died we had a couple we had a series of gigs scheduled out at the wolf and Baldwin, um which that's a great place to play and they've got a good crowd out there and great food and stuff and um, they've obviously had to cancel those and then there's a local Webster Groves Garden Cafe, um, just down the street from us. We we play there once a month, and we're friends with the uh, the owners there, and who are also musicians. Yeah, and they do a lot of. They've in the last couple of years really turned that into a place for live music, and um, so we've had to put all that stuff on hold. And that's yeah. difficult to see yeah. these in open mics and just places you know you can always go to um, catch up with your musical friends. That's you know none of that's happening right now. Yeah, especially yeah. smaller businesses. I I know the Wolf is still doing 
curbside food pickup, but the Webster Garden Cafe, they've closed. So I'm hopeful that they come back stronger than ever. And um, there's a they bring in a lot of different musicians to play. They have music almost every what, every weekend from the morning until the night. So um, they've been such um, such a nice addition to the music venue kind of community in St. Louis, and I hope that they they can come back and thrive. And then on May 10th, we were supposed to play a Mother's Day brunch, and I'm, ex- I'm okay. expecting that that will also be canceled. <laughs> I don't know. We haven't heard anything, but probably not going to be playing to a room full of ladies who lunch. The nonprofit that you work for, is that something that individuals can contribute to? Is it something that we can plug in the, in the show notes? That'd be awesome. Yeah. I work for an organization called LifeWise, L-I-F-E-W-I-S-E-S-T-L. We used to be known as Kingdom House. We rebranded over the summer. Um, We serve infants all the way up to senior adults and everybody in between. A large portion of the people that we work with are um, immigrants and refugees. Um, And right now we are providing um, free curbside grocery pickup um, and household goods, so paper products and diapers every Thursday at 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. at our location at 1321 South 11th Street, St. Louis, Missouri, 63104. And we'll keep going as long as this is going. And um, we've, I think we've distributed over 2,000 bags of food to over 1,000 households, probably about 4,000 individuals. So it's a it's a lot of work, but we're um, really happy to be able to continue to do this in the meantime. Um, we've also been um, supporting people with um, cash assistance. So we've supported almost what, 20 families, I think, with about $17,000 in cash assistance in the last two weeks. So people are able to pay their rent because that's if May 1st hasn't happened yet, rent is coming due, um, yeah. and there's no moratorium on rent in Missouri. So um, we're continuing to try and help people make sure they can pay their rent and stay in their homes. Because even if they're not getting – there's a restriction on eviction right now, but um, at some point all that rent's going to come due and the re- eviction mm-hmm. restriction will be lifted, and we're pretty worried about people in that situation. So. Yeah, that's going to be rough when that happens. Yeah. Right on. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's, yeah, that's thank a, you. That's really awesome work. Thanks. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well for everyone who uh, might awesome. be interested. Yeah. So why don't, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about Row Your Boat. So that's not the uh, <laughs> traditional Row Your Boat you may be thinking <laughs> of. Not a children's song, but there is a child in it. Totally uh, caught me off guard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't really remember what inspired Inspired that song um, again. Water as a as a recurring mm-hmm. theme. Um, I do know that that was another the the chorus um, I wrote while I was driving, and I recorded it into my phone as I was driving, um, and then built the rest of the the lyrics off of that. And then Andy taught me a, a very basic slide guitar sequence to play on that. Nice. Um, yeah, it's it's a strange. Uh, for a long time, when I would would we play that song out, that song would choke me up. Although it has no relation to my actual life, there was something about it that was that would always make me um, emotional. We would we would play it. I guess that's a good thing to be connected to the words that you're writing. Yeah. But I swear I've never lost a child to drowning. Uh, thankfully, so yeah. And I think that song just it goes along with the 
the theme that's present in a lot of traditional American music, which is the harshness of of life and then the hopefulness for um, a better future. Seeing your loved ones again. And the album cover, mm-hmm. which has a lantern on it, uh, that image I, I kind of drew from from that song, just the idea of of a lantern on the shore, of uh, being in a boat and seeing the light from the shore. That imagery you talk about of like the, the hardship but hopefulness of life, it, it feels super appropriate when you think of like how much of this style of music seems to be like linked to the idea of like the early 20th century and like the Depression era and like the, the you know, the Dust Bowl. Yeah. Well, not even uh, the, the Gillian Welch song, she, uh, April 14th. Yeah. Uh, she references one of the, the, you know, the big dust storms that ravaged Oklahoma. And like there's this you know, really kind of like early American feel to it. Uh, and yeah, there was a lot of hardship, but like you, you see a, a lot of like positivity coming out of that too. Yeah. And hopefully that's something that being in kind of a national crisis right now, um, it's maybe good to think about those kind of things and how the country's been through a lot of difficulties in the past. And uh, hopefully people will band together and get through this and in the same ways that we've done it before. Right on. So uh, before we go, where can uh, we find you on the internet? Uh, We have a website, www.catchingthewestbound.com. I'm a prolific tweeter, hardly ever about music, but uh, I get yelled at to to scope back into music frequently. Um, But we're at Catch the West on Twitter for pics of dogs. um, Coffee. Coffee, farm animals. (laughs) Um... What else do I, food, soccer, talk a lot about soccer. Yeah, those are the main things that I tweet about. Then we also have a Facebook. What's the handle on that? At Catch the West as well. If you go to the website, uh, the links to the social media stuff's all on there. And then we've got music on Spotify. I mean, this album's on Spotify. It's on Apple Music and some of the streaming services. Yeah, On SoundCloud, we've got some of our older demo stuff, some instrumental stuff and just some some of the very early demos that we recorded when we first started playing. And we have a secret SoundCloud with those other songs that someday we will convert into an album. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'd love to have you back when that happens for sure. In 20 years. Yes. When we finally, finally get that album done, we'll, we'll let you know. I'm looking forward to the spooky record. Yeah. Yeah. That might actually be the first thing. That might be the best thing to focus on during this time. Yeah. We both have an affinity Absolutely. for horror movies. Combine uh, folk music and horror movies, and that's what you get. Caleb, where can we find you? Oh, hey. Uh, so you can find me, uh, if you want, on social media, on uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Caleb Micah. Uh, uh, all the more lately, uh, I've been taking to, to Twitter to freeform rant about nothing, <laughs> to, you know, to scream into the void, so to speak. Uh, but you can also find me online uh, and find the rest of our podcast network at nightshiftradio.com, uh, where you can check out the the various productions under our umbrella, including uh, our title, Never Heard of It, where we talk about uh, movies. And you can check us out there at nightshiftradio.com. Awesome. Uh, but Kitsy, how about you? Where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on the Twitter and the Instagram at Hey Kitsy. Hey Kitsy. Hey Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> You can find us at leftofthedial.fm, where you can listen to this episode. I don't know why I have to tell you that. You're listening to it right now. You've already found it. Uh, but, but you can. But you can. But you can. You can listen to this episode on leftofthedial.fm, as well as all our past episodes, uh, as well as get links to all the albums and artists that we've talked about in this episode and previous episodes as well. 
Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Left of the Dial PC. The PC stands for podcast, not personal computer. I, I am just absolutely sick of this rumor. I, I want to put it to bed once and for all. It's it's podcast. Ted Leo, we are like we we're gonna have words. Yeah. Yeah, we, we recently found out that Ted Leo is the one spreading the rumor and we're not happy about it. Well, as long as they t- as long as you type in the right letters, you're gonna get there. It doesn't matter what you intended when you typed it, right? I think we're done here. <laughs> Semantics matter. Right. It's podcast, damn it. PC stands for podcast. Well, we will help spread the word that it it is podcast. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Finally, someone's in our corner on this one. It's just, you know, these rumors have gone on too long. It's been 20 episodes. 20 episodes. We've gotten sevens of emails about it, and I just can't, I can't do it anymore. This has been Left of the Dial. I have been Kitsy. Caleb has been Coy. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next week. Like the clouds in the gate of soul.